pick, put it on the right string, and he said, okay, strum down. And so I did, and it went clink, 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 clink. So I was like, this doesn't sound like my kindergarten teacher. He said, just press a little harder on your fingers. And I did, and down it went, and it sounded good. Then in the second lesson, he said, now we're going to learn scales. And that was my last guitar lesson, because <laughs> the scales weren't fun. Well, fast forward to one night when I was 30 years old. I was at a men's night at church, and... The youth group room, the room, had just gotten a PlayStation. And there was this new game for PlayStation called Guitar Hero. And I was like, oh, this looks like fun. It's like this little bitty plastic SG. And I'm like, oh, this will be fun. I, I can still hear Iron Man and Take Me Out just pounding into my head because... I got on that, and it was probably four or five hours. It couldn't get me off of it. I was just like, this is, this is what I've been looking for. But it wasn't enough. Well, the buddy of mine that I was playing with actually played guitar. And so I asked him, I was like, will you come over to my house tomorrow and show me a few things on the guitar? He said, yeah, sure. So we sat in our kitchen and he taught me a few chords and a few strumming things. And the next day, I could play Wish You Were Here. One day. I wasn't ready at six years old. But I was certainly ready at 30. At six, I could play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, at least half of it. 30. Wish you were here. And it occurs to me that this whole being a Christian lifestyle of ours, it feels sometimes like we expect people to be able to play Stairway to Heaven when they've barely learned Jesus loves me. When it comes to this whole forgiveness thing, I don't care if you've been a Christian for one year, five years, 10 years, or 50 years, let's be a little patient with each other. And I'm not saying that because we're being impatient with each other. It's just one of those reminders as I've been thinking through this, throughout this series, that this forgiveness thing doesn't always come naturally. It's like learning an instrument or learning a language. This takes time. And it also takes intentionality. You have to actually wake up and think, okay, we're going to do this whole forgiveness thing. I think maybe the key to forgiveness these days, especially these days, is to cultivate patience. And that brings us to yet another attempt to define what forgiveness is and what it's not. I'm going to read two passages from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. One passage from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, here at the beginning of this sermon... And then at the end of the sermon, I want to circle back to the end of Jesus' sermon in Matthew 7. So here is from 
a little bit into the beginning in Matthew 5, 21. This is Jesus talking the whole time. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. If you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So, when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Now, that teaching is pretty self-explanatory. If you're trying to worship God, but you're carrying around all kinds of grudges and hatred, that's not so good. I know the passage says, if your brother or sister has something against you, but trust me, this goes both ways. This isn't one of those things. Well, that only applies if, you know, come on, no. No, it's, that, that's not it. It it's, goes both ways. It's anything. Anything rooted in grudges and hatred. But for now, let's put this teaching into a few contexts. And I want to do it by exploring what was my original intention at this point in the series. Back when we started kind of writing and exploring this series, I thought that by the time we got to August, we would be doing what at the time when I wrote this, I was thinking was going to be this, not that. You know what I mean by that? Forgiveness is this, but it's not that. And that was a few months ago when I started writing that. Okay, we're going to, you know, let's come up with these different ideas and these images. Here's what forgiveness is. Here's what it's not. The more, though, that I spent time, and this is why the sermon writing process should not happen on Sunday morning when you wake up to drink coffee. The more time I spent with this, the more I realized that the this, not that, is some of the time. This, not that, most of the time, maybe even. But it allows for some conversation. So the first one is forgiveness is natural. And forgiveness is not natural. Let me explain this. For some people, learning how to play an instrument comes naturally, for example. For others, it doesn't. For some people, learning a language, like another language, a second or third language, comes pretty naturally. For some people, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that you can't learn how to play the trombone if you want to, but... You may find that the person sitting next to you in the band hall has a little easier time at it. You know what else is like that? Everything. Everything's like that. So if we're this far into the summer and it's like, man, I'm not very good at this forgiveness thing, that's okay. The person sitting next to you may not be either. 
Or maybe they're a little more practiced at it. That's what church is for. We lean on each other, build each other up, patient with each other. Even though forgiveness may not come naturally to you, that doesn't mean that you don't need to give it some attention and some effort. Plus, who knows, with some practice, like the trombone, it might get easier. Another one, forgiveness is asking. Forgiveness is not automatic. I mean, sometimes it is, but most of the time forgiveness is asking. Sometimes when it becomes a part of you, forgiveness can become a built-in repair mechanism for a given relationship, but you still need to ask. Another one, forgiveness is admitting when you're wrong. Forgiveness is not letting your wrongs define you. I'm just going to leave that one out there. I'll say it again. Forgiveness is admitting when you're wrong. Forgiveness is not letting your wrongs define you. And one more. Forgiveness is moving on. Forgiveness is not necessarily forgetting. Now, you've heard that it was said, forgive and forget. But I'm here to tell you, forgive even when you cannot forget. And forgiveness does not mean that you have to forget. Okay, and here comes the curveball, but sometimes it does. In fact, truth is, even though we've corrected this stereotype through the years, which I'm glad that we have, because a lot of you I know probably grew up being hit over the head with forgive and forget. Right? I, I'm not making this up, right? You grow up with forgive and forget, and that's, that's you know, God's honest truth, and if you don't, you're going to go to hell. So you better forgive and forget. Okay, so we've corrected that stereotype, at least hopefully. But the majority of the time, it is forgive and forget. Here's what I mean by that. Most of the time, we are called to practice little forgivenesses. We, don't, we are not called every day to forgive monumental tragedies and trauma. Okay, you do deal with that. Most of the forgivenesses that we encounter are little forgivenesses, little I'm sorry's. And then you can forget, hopefully. Now, I'm not talking about the big stuff. Instead, I'm talking about that time when he said to you, I said that out of frustration. It wasn't really about you. I'm sorry. And then maybe you replied, it's okay. Let's just forget it. And then, because of that repair mechanism in your relationship, you were able to move on. Now, not to cover this series in too many disclaimers, even though it's necessary, let me add to this forgive and forget part of the practice. One more thing. That only works 
if it's occasional. You know what I mean by that? That can't be an everyday thing. It can't be, well, I'm sorry I blew up at you. Well, it's okay, let's forget it. And then tomorrow, well, sorry I blew up at you. Well, let's just forget it. That's not, <laughs> you with me? All right, enough of that. It takes daily practice, okay? That's all I'm trying to say. So think about it this way. Before the advent of typing with our thumbs, some of us had to learn how to type on a manual typewriter. All right. Now, I know you can see them at the Smithsonian in D.C. They're really cool looking. Underwood was the one that, man, when Jen and I would move, she had an Underwood typewriter. You remember how heavy those things were? Horrible. Anyway, it weighed like 100 pounds. Put your fingers on these keys. Now, I remember I was 10th grade. I was in 10th grade. Fingers on keys. You know, and you would hit these, and I would watch my teachers type, or I'd watch, you know, people typing, and I was like, I'm never going to get that. And plus, it didn't help that I sat across typewriters from Michelle. Uh, she was the Maria to my Tony. Okay? We, seriously, we were in West Side Story together. I played Tony, she played Maria. <laughs> I'm not, that's not, oh, that's a cute metaphor. No, we literally were in West Side Story together. So anyway, I sat across from Michelle, which is probably why I wasn't very good at typing in 10th grade, but I practiced. I thought, no, I heard that college is easier if you know how to actually type type. And so I stuck with it and learned how to type and got good at it. Typing, though, without looking at the keys was something that I, at the time, I never thought I was going to get. I never thought I would be able to go from G to C to D on a guitar either without looking at it. You practice, you get to it. It did frustrate me at the time because I wanted to be able to do it without thinking about it, the typing thing. But here's the good news. Now, 30-something years later, after 10th grade, typing is as natural as breathing. It, it's just, it is literally effortless. And I'm telling you, that gives me hope when it comes to this forgiveness thing. If we're all a bunch of beginners with our hands on the home keys, sitting across from Michelle, completely distracted when it comes to forgiveness... Look at the world we live in. How could we not? How could we not be distracted? How could this not be hard? Of course it's hard. But there's hope. I don't know if forgiveness is ever going to be that natural, but I haven't lived my whole life yet. So how would I know? The one teaching, though, of Jesus that keeps forgiveness and love and patience and all these other things on the forefront of our hearts and minds and our souls goes like this. And this is toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, 
For the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. There are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are a few who find it. You know, I'm thinking though, here's the few. Even right now, we're finding it. We're in the process of finding it together. But it might begin at treat others the way you want to be treated. Do unto others like you would have them do unto you. And I've, I've heard people say before, right? Well, you can't sum up this whole Christianity thing in one sentence. Well, Jesus did. I mean, literally, he just said, this is the law and the prophets. That right there. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Do to others like you would have them do to you. This is Jesus' foundational teaching. Do things to and for others as you would want done to and for you. This is being a Jesus follower at its most basic. And it's not easy, but this is where you begin. This, do to others as you would have them do to you, is the scales on the guitar. It's CDEFG on the piano. It's the home keys on the typewriter. It's, I mean, if I leave my gift at the altar to be reconciled to my loved one, what if it's because I hope that he or she will do the same? So I'm learning how to live. Recently for my birthday, one of my young students over at the YMCA, I teach over there on Tuesdays and Thursday nights, one of my young students gave me a present. Now, this student, and she's one of my favorites, she's 11 years old, and she came up to me, gave me a big bag that said, Happy Birthday. So I opened the bag, and I looked down in it, and I reached down in the bag, and it was a coffee mug that says, like, World's Greatest Coach, you know, on it. And inside the coffee mug... It was filled with Skittles and Airheads and Pop Rocks. And while I'm not exactly a candy connoisseur anymore, what she was giving me was something that she thought would be a great birthday present. You know what? It was. It was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. I'll keep that coffee mug. I mean, my goodness, we have so many coffee mugs. I'll keep that one. They say that we often give gifts that we would like to receive ourselves. Maybe if we thought about daily forgiveness of the little things in that same way, like giving little gifts all day, if we actually treated others the way we want to be treated, who knows? We 
in this room could partner with God in the name of Jesus and be actually responsible for making this world a better place. Amen.